we declare, one, that all forms of imitation must be despised, all forms of originality glorified. Two, that it is essential to rebel against the tyranny of the terms harmony and good taste as being two elastic expressions, by the help of which it is easy to demolish the works of Rembrandt, of Goya, and of Rodin. Three, that the art critics are useless or harmful. Four, that all subjects previously used must be swept aside in order to express our whirling life of steel, of pride, of fever, of speed. Five, that the name of madman, with which it is attempted to gag all innovators, should be looked upon as a title of honor. Six, that innate complementariness is an absolute necessity in painting, just as free meter in poetry or polyphony in music. Seven, that universal dynamism must be rendered in painting as a dynamic sensation. Eight, that in the manner of rendering nature, the first essential is sincerity and purity. That movement and light destroy the materiality of bodies. That's number nine. We fight, one, against the bituminous tints by which it is attempted to obtain the patina of time upon modern pictures. Two, against the superficial and elementary archaism founded upon flat tints, and which, by imitating the linear technique of the Egyptians, reduces painting to a powerless synthesis, both childish and grotesque. Three, against the false claims to belong to the future put forward by the secessionists and the independents, who have installed new academies, no less trite and attached to routine than the preceding ones. Four, against the nude in painting, as nauseous and as tedious as adultery, in literature. Those were the declarations of the Futurist Technical Manifesto for Painting. Hello and welcome to episode three of The Manifest Image. This is the podcast that looks at uh, artist manifestos from the 20th century uh, from the perspective of people at the time. Imagine that you're a young artist. What would you have made of it if you read, the, uh, read these various manifestos at the time? Shocked, I suppose. But we'll also be moving beyond that and looking at their repercussions throughout history and their implications for the modern day and looking at the objects and artistic works that they spawned. And this is presented by myself, Thomas Greengrass. And myself, Ariel de la Garza. Ah, very good. Ah. Now, just before we kick off properly, uh, we've heard some feedback from you from last time. And uh, yeah, some of them have been a little long first two a little on the long side so we're going to try to keep to roughly an hour and in lieu of that uh, because we obviously have far too much to say um, we will be putting some additional content that's not part of the main podcast the main material will always be available online for free um, but we'll be putting a little bit on the Patreon just if you (laughs) want to support us or whatever then you can um, and it'll just be some bonus content where we look at a couple of paintings or whatever or mm-hmm. some readings we'll continue to, to make announcements about the Patreon uh, in the future as well as additional things yeah, yeah. always is constantly moving forward um, but yeah so we're going to try and keep a little bit more succinct a little bit more on track so like with all of these manifestos it's tricky because there are a million different versions and a million different translations so this one is based off of the Sackville um, 1912 London version, uh, and it's done by Robert Bruin, uh, B-R-U-I-N. So t- not, not Robert Brain from yeah. last time, <laughs> not which we made one. many jokes at Mr. Brain's expense. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Brainiac? Why? <laughs> Well, there you I'm, go, celebrate, there you I'm are. I'm like shattered. <laughs> I know, initially. So, the, so this, this translation comes from the 1912 exhibition mm. uh, in the Sackville... London Sackville. London Sackville yeah. West Gallery. Well, no, no, not Sackville but, West, there are just Sackville versions. Gallery then, yeah. There's a German version, there's an Italian version. I think the Italian version was first. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I mean, this was... Published in Poesia, right? Yeah, but, but it's composed by Boccioni and others, but... Whilst it's signed by Bala and Cara and all these other, uh, you know, these futurists that we've sort mentioned, these old major faithful five, so far, it's not clear to what degree they actually influenced directly this manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, they signed it, but whether they actually helped compose it. Yeah, but it, we, don't, we don't have a, a sort of don't. origin 
origin story the way we do about the previous one. No, and there, there was no smoky that. cafe in Milan where this uh, not at all that paved the way for a not difficult birth. No, probably this is Boccioni's work mainly because mm-hmm. he's he's the big theorist. Yeah, he's the big theorist. probably. Okay, so, uh, so initial thoughts. Yeah, initial thoughts. I mean, I quite liked it. I liked this one more than I did last one. Um, yeah, I, I felt it was it was better. <laughs> I guess um, it felt it felt more more like vibrant and kind of connected to art and to what they were doing than the previous. That felt like 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 a sort of lousy re- not not fully but a bit of a lousy rehash of of the proper uh, Marinetti original manifesto. So I I, th- I thought this was a, a lot better. Yeah. Do you know I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I think this is such a return to form. The last one was really dull. I mean, we, we ended the last episode with what a terrible disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Utterly crestfallen at the end of it. No, I think this one, it's not quite as good as Marinetti's passionate prose, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's far more interesting. It's more specific. It's, it's... The, the last one had more redundant material in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas this... Far more succinct and actually pushes actually, the theory tries, forward. It tries to push the theory forward, yeah. And it tie, for, but it ties mm-hmm. it in a lot more, I think, as well. Okay. We have references to science, to energy a lot more. I think... But I think in a slightly different way. Uh, yeah, very much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it fits... It's, it sits far uh, in a far comfier position next to Marinetti's Foundation of the Futurist yeah. Manifesto. So for, for this one, do you have a hyper-brief summary of it? Oh... Funny you should ask that, Ariel, <laughs> because yes, I do. It's almost as if I always do. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so very broadly, um, very roughly, uh, it follows this format. It references the previous manifesto, which we're so crestfallen about. Uh, it references the Milan Salon, the first uh, fu- one of the first futurist salons. It then moves into the critical or theoretical content, which very succinctly and roughly categorized is truth, the moment, boundaries of an object, science, uh, reduction uh, to energy, an egalitarian reduction to energy, and color. Thoughts about color, which will divide between divisionism and a little bit about shadows. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's very broadly what I would define it into before we reach the great declarations that you've just read out and the final little prose bit, but mm-hmm. which, I mean, so, which is a clarification. Of the yeah. Final so, so far we've seen this broadly similar structure where we have some prose at the beginning, mm-hmm. then the declarations, and then a little bit of additional prose content at the end that will help elucidate or foresee objections and try to counter them early on. Yeah. And I think this one, again, the prose at the beginning does serve as like a, a little narrative entrance into the world of the futurists and to sort of prime you for the declarations that are to come, right? More than the last one. Yeah, the last one... Artists uh, of Italy. Unite! Yeah, I mean, lame. It really was. It was such a... You you have the first manifesto paint a big world. It opens up a whole world. And suddenly the second one seems to... You know, it opens a door. Yeah, instead, you, you a, lose that entire landscape. And instead kind of got, like, yeah. like the, the trite world of student politics is what it felt like a bit. Yeah. And, and just you've got Marinetti, I imagine, in my, in my head, just sort of adding on, yeah, well done, guys, I'll sign this. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, this yeah. can be. You've got a nice story. Not as good as my, you know, I've, I've gotten into the car and thrown it into a ditch with cyclists. No. All right, so what's, what's the, the, the purpose of this manifesto? Okay, so... I mean, first, first as, as a young Italian artist, what did you feel the purpose was? Ah, okay, so... And then, and then as, a, as a bitter millennial, tell me what the purpose was afterwards. No, Gen X, right? You're not a Gen X. Which is it? You're, you're far too old for that. You're closer to Gen Z than Gen X. Which one am I thinking of? That doesn't matter. You were saying. I'm go- I've got it wrong. Which one is the n- late 90s? Millennial. That's not millennial, is That's it? Millennial is the one before. No, you're pretty... You're uh, <laughs> all right, whatever. This is all futurist, isn't it? It's very... Oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, no, so... From the title, we can see that... And because they begin explicitly with references to the f- 
previous manifesto about artists. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, the beginning, I think, is almost a little bit pathetic because they, they mention ES we, on the 18th of March, 1910, in this theatre in Turin, we end up presenting the first manifesto. And supposedly, yes, there was a great big fight. Mm -hmm. They raged, they raged. Oh, yes. That fight remained legendary. In fact, here we go. The Battle of Turin has remained legendary. We exchanged almost as many knocks as we did ideas in order to protect (laughs) from certain death the genius of Italian art. Uh, they're They're really bigging themselves up there. I can't help but feel it's a little bit like the geek who said, oh, yeah, I beat someone in League of Legends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, we did so. It does seem a little bit lame compared to what they have to offer in the rest of the manifesto. No, no, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, and we also kind of know, going, going to the disaffected millennial uh, identity, that that's not true. Um, mm. That, in, in fact, it, it, was, it was not that big a deal. And no. you know, not that many people were there. And there certainly wasn't a fight. <laughs> Um, Almost certainly not. Think Maybe a couple booed. of disgruntled I think they, they might have been yeah. booed for a while, but there was, was really a lot, a lot more anticlimactic than, than they, they make. That's it why out they to had be. to make a second one. But again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and then on and on. But like again, this is part of the of, of the futurists, and this is part of kind of their their mythos that it is entirely kind of almost self consciously invented. Yeah. Um, oh, and yet very it's, much. It's so. like th- that's part of it. They're and very good at self-aggrandizing. And we saw in the first one that for all its, its claims to spontaneity, it's so well rehearsed. And, so it, and I wonder, but but I wonder how many other artists knew that it was entirely rehearsed and nonetheless found it profoundly exciting, because I can imagine you know a, 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 like a Tristan Sara type or whatever kind of seeing this and seeing the sort of like brave contriteness of it all and thinking yeah that's amazing that is exactly what i want to do in a way no doubt that they will yeah no doubt that they not only that they will but that they it's, did it's quite, it's quite brilliant no, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun uh, but no so this one it, it builds on the last one right we'll actually end up seeing because later on when we come to uh, dissecting the declarations one by one We'll see that many of them, and no doubt viewers from last week, or rather hearers from last week, mm-hmm. um, episode, uh, last week's episode, will see that they seem very similar. Perhaps there are only a couple of changes um, in terms of bringing two different ones together and maybe mm-hmm. adding in a couple of other ones. And so later on, we'll actually end up looking at how these are combined and how these change between them. But no, so this is the technical manifesto. And uh, we're going to, we mentioned divisionism and pointillism last time. This will, there's a reference to divisionism, but we'll be mainly focusing on the distinction between subject and form and how uh, the artist should, what sort of subject the artist should be capturing. We Mm -hmm. had reference to the nude, gone. Yeah. At least 10 years needs to be gone uh, and in terms of how the form should be captured but also the very notion of an object and of truth and a moment all of that will be further elucidated in this following manifesto which i think is far more interesting than last week's yeah well let's let's dive in so <clears throat> i'm gonna jump in a little bit of an awkward point and bring us directly to the idea of the Well, actually, no, sorry, just before that, I'll just read out. Our growing need of truth is no longer satisfied with form and colour as they have been understood hitherto. So this, of course, brings us to what the rest of the manifesto will be about. Notion of form, colour will play a huge role in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we're brought into the idea of the, the serious academic critical content. And I want to really draw our attention to the notion of spectator which comes later on. Um, You'll see that in... The construction of pictures has hitherto been foolishly traditional. Painters have shown us the objects and the people placed before us. We shall henceforth put the spectator in the centre of the picture. Now, you are a young Italian artist, Mm -hmm. French artist. How does this change your uh, your perspective 
you're suddenly hearing, this is pre-Duchamp, remember? Mm -hmm. We now have the benefit of hindsight, and everyone's going, oh, yes, Duchamp is the one who says, where does art begin? Is it in the intentions of the artist? I mean, later on, we've got the, the bastardization of the death of the author, even though that's not at all what Roland Barthes was writing about. Um, but this idea that, actually, intentions don't matter at all. It's spectator. Mm -hmm. Here, we still have intentions. The intentions are rather geared towards the spectator, though. And the very notion of spectator. So you are a young Italian artist. You've been raised, perhaps, or, or at least have some knowledge of the academies. You're aware of Renaissance art. You're aware of subject matters of religion. Mm -hmm. um, you are aware of... The neoclassical, perhaps. The neoclassical, yes. You're yeah. aware of uh, the political, the... Um, you will also have romanticism in your Social back pocket. Social realism, yeah. Social realism, you'll have landscapes all there. Suddenly, uh, instead of having these ideal forms, because with romanticism, you've still got the sublime. Neo-impressionism mm -hmm. suddenly, uh, and impressionism, there's a focus on spontaneity in the form and introduction of colour. I mean, so, so what's, what are you going to do? The spectator. Yeah. That's a very different thing. It is. And also, I mean, when you see the paintings, it... It, it, it really helps crystallize a, a bit what they meant um, mm. by putting the subject um, at the heart of, uh, of, of of their entire ethos of creation, I guess. Yeah. It's like phenomenological. Yes. Right? It's intensely phenomenological in a way that, um, that others aren't. So like, you know, pointillism or I, I guess more like impressionism. I'm thinking of someone like Monet or something. Mm. Um, in a way, you could say it's phenomenological, like like metaphorically, it's it's like your your metaphoric emotion embodied in a, in a way. Um, you know, you, you have this like lovely, beautiful, calming landscapes that you might see that would reflect your interior state, so on and so forth. But with this, it's like kind of like at a perceptual, like brain ticking along kind of mode that you that, that they want you to see things right like like you you want to see legs moving along and you want to see like the different i guess uh like frames at which you see them stuff like that so I, that, that, that's what i see it like a very base perception level of subjectivity see this is interesting because of course within this manifesto we see uh the expansion of the object we have the knocking down of boundaries. As I said, the boundaries of an object are sort of knocked down and everything, there's this egalitarian reduction to energy. Mm -hmm. Just before we directly move on to that, though, what really gets me is that um, when it comes to the spectator, we're moving away from some of those, although they were somewhat outdated by now because of the influence of symbolism and decadence and even romanticism, but... Mm -hmm. There's even in romanticism and in decadence and, and to some extent in symbolism, there are notions of ideal images, these kind of platonic forms. And so you've got in kind of high Renaissance art, these ideas you have to depict, uh, what's your subject matter? Purity or, or a or classical. like a scene of mythology or something. Exactly. It has to be these, uh, these kind of great monuments that are perpetual. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't move and they are kind of perfect here, that's thrown out the window, we don't really care about our subject right now. First of all, we're shifting to the spectator. And the spectator can see essentially anything to begin with. Later on, we'll of course see that what right. does the spectator have to do? They have to be brought into the modern world with energy and mo motion, the kinetic. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting to see that as a young artist, you'll probably you'll have awareness of, well, we've got these kind of high-minded subjects some influence of, yeah, no, we can look at the mundane. Yeah, but they really, I guess, drag you down to, to like, a very base level of perception. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, you are literally looking at a canvas. Yeah, but, for example... Rather than a perfect image. Mm -hmm. Or rather, and, a presentation of a perfect but image. But also, rather than, like, I don't know, going out and doing social realist painting. Mm. That's also not entirely what they're into. Oh, F very far from it. Very far right? from it. I mean, but I mean, that would be another sort of, you know, it, like what you see and it's, I guess, real and whatever. Um, I think we'll pick that up though later on with mm -hmm. uh, with that social realism because it's it's difficult. But uh, having looked at that, I think it's now important for us to uh, take a look at the very idea of a moment. 
which is mentioned here. Mm -hmm. The gesture which we would reproduce on canvas shall no longer be a fixed moment in universal dynamism. It shall simply be the dynamic sensation itself. And this is then developed further on. Um, Indeed, all things move, all things run, all things are rapidly changing. A profile is never motionless before our eyes, but it constantly appears and disappears on account of the persistency of an image upon the retina, moving images, uh, sorry, moving objects constantly multiply themselves. Their form changes like rapid vibrations in their mad career. Thus, a running horse has not four legs, but 20, and their movements are triangular. And this is, it just moves on further. We, we end up moving beyond the very notion of, of dynamic motion itself, mm-hmm. but even just uh, the breaking down of boundaries. And so... Uh, well, we but it's, it's, it's also the, the inherent problem of wanting to capture movement itself in, in something but static. But even objects. Yeah. But no, because but, uh, mm-hmm. it gets worse than that. That's true, but it gets even worse than that because even our objects start to fall apart. Uh, the, the notion of number falls away from us. It, um, the 16 people around you in a rolling motor bus are in turn and at the same time, one, ten, four, three. They are motionless and they change places. They come and go, bound into the street, are suddenly swallowed up by the sunshine. They come back and sit before you like persistent symbols of universal vibration. How often have we not seen upon the cheek of the person with whom we are talking, the horse which passes at the end of the street? Our bodies penetrate the sofas upon which we sit, uh, and the sofas penetrate our bodies. So, okay, with the, with the horse example, mm-hmm. you no doubt you're talking to someone, and then behind them there's a horse going past. And for a moment you're kind of thinking that, hold on, it almost looks like the horse is part of their head. So you're struggling to see boundaries, but this all relates together. You've got motion... And worse than that, you don't only have bodies in motion, but you even have the fluidity of body. Yeah. So it is just total force and energy. Well, yeah, and, but again, it's a, it's a very... I, I guess it's, it's a breakdown of our visual representations, no? It's almost as if they'd taken LSD or something and we're, yeah, we're kind of experimenting so. with... with, with uh, yeah, having, having things break down, no? There's a touch of... Barclay, uh, Barclayan uh, idealism as well sure. about it. Um, just in, in terms of how these these things, the viewer is so important. It is really all spectator. It's I mean, all so it, it's also like I mean, philosophically for, for them, it's it's heavily Bergsonian, um, at least at least at, at a surface level. Um, Very much heavily heavily Bergsonian. So talking about uh, the dynamic sensation and universal dynamism, all of these things are kind of concepts that Bergson spoke of and, um, yeah, was, was into. But doesn't it tie in so neatly with the first manifesto? Yeah, the idea of energy, energy, all the but, time but, energy. But, but this is them actually trying to put it into, into you know, effect. And, you know, this, this might actually be a decent moment to, yeah, I think so. to talk about the dynamism of a dog on a leash. How many legs does a horse have? Well, how many legs exactly. does, a, does a sausage dog have? <laughs> I raise you. And I can count... Wait, what's the name of the image? A dozen. The dynamism of a dog on a leash. Not a dozen. No, no probably more. I don't, I don't know. That's a lot of legs. <laughs> um, dynamism of a dog on a leash. Yeah, 1912. Yeah. By uh, Giacomo Balla, right? Yeah, yeah Giacomo Balla. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it just captures so neatly what's said in this. It, by the way, um, this is in the same year as uh, the former manifesto, 1910. No, 1912, Hume. in fact. Yeah, uh, the painting is 1912, but the manifesto is 1910. Mm-hmm. And whilst, of course, you'll be able to see the image, there'll be uh, links to yes, it. Yes, podcasts being uh, definitely a visual medium, yeah. um, this this makes a lot of sense, as always. Um, but the influence of it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, look, essentially... Anyone who's seen the old Sonic cartoons... <laughs> You remember the old Sonic cartoons mm. where they end up depicting the, the little blue hedgehog with the sort of circular legs? Yeah, I mean, in a way, sort this, of running in this. This, you know, heavily foreshadows animation and the type of thing you, you would actually have to do to get, yeah. to get motion on, on screen or on something. Um, it's pretty great. I love it. I mean, I, I really like that painting. And it's also strange because it, since it is a painting of a dog, it's. it's it's kind of soft and lovely in a way that a lot of the other futurist things are not. That are they're all so dense and and heavy, you know, um, because of the subject matter. 
which is fine, you know, if you're talking about the funeral of a, of a prominent murdered anarchist or so on, I guess oh, some darkness is warranted. Link. But there is, both in this painting and I think in this manifesto, like a, a softening, right? Like, also, you know, Boccioni will talk about the tones of humans in a way that to me seems kind of humanizing. But the colors. Um, the colors, yeah. Trying, trying, to, trying to have like more faithful representations of people. Like little, little things that seem like a little bit symbolic and kind of, kind of warmer, in a sense, than, than the, the more like blustering, patriotic, triumphalist tone of, uh, you know, of the first manifesto. Yes. Although, I mean, of course, the bluster comes back, but it, it feels a bit at odds for me. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, by this point, we'll, we'll have like totally lost all semblance of ordinary reality or what we knew and what we felt safe mm -hmm. with. We've not only just uh, carrying on the first manifesto focused on movement and the modern world, cars, aeroplanes, whatever is in motion that's quick, mm. hell, to hell with the uh, worm-ridden. But we've moved to the... Uh, blending of boundaries objects aren't even firm they are fluid and then to make it worse even because we we can't even find any stability in color mm -hmm. and so i don't know if you want to read out some of those yeah no I, I, I do i mean there's there's a few things i want to mention about this yeah but so for instance how is it possible to see the human face pink now that our life redoubled by noctambulism has multiplied our perceptions as colorists the human face is yellow red green blue violet the pallor of a woman gazing in a jeweler's window is more intensely iridescent than the prismatic fires of the jewels that fascinate her like a lark. And I mean, you know, vague sexism notwithstanding, that's, yeah, no. that's wonderful. I mean, but, uh, that's really great. What, I mean, just, just to push it a little bit further, because mm -hmm. then you get a great example of how they at least want to differentiate themselves mm -hmm. from previous artists. Your eyes, accustomed to semi-darkness, will soon open to more radiant visions of light. The shadows which we shall paint shall be more luminous than the highlights of our predecessors, and our pictures, next to those of the museums, will shine like blinding daylight compared with deepest night. Now, mind you, this is also the first mention in this manifesto of anything directly related to painting. Made, made, made a note of that. Well, um, they mentioned yeah. subject and form. Um, they do, they do, they do. Uh, but now you've got the mention of but, color but, but and But in, but in you know, technical manifesto, technical yeah. manifesto, I expected some more things about technique. It's only about four pages long. Uh, I mean, for God's no, no, sake, man! <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be introduced somewhere. Sure. But, uh, I mean, I mean uh, what do you think of that? I mean, the fact that they say that our shadows will be brighter than the brightest daylight. Yeah. And I mean, you can assume that that's in the, all the previous paintings. And so, I mean, whenever there's been gold, everybody's like, no, th those are shadows compared to us. I mean, I don't know. A lot of their paintings are, are rather dark, but others are not. They're, they're really like explosions of color. I mean, like really wonderful, like t just explosions of color. Are you specifically thinking of something yeah. like uh, the triptych, uh, Boccioni's triptych from 19... But Boccioni's triptych is quite muted, 1911. though. It's a bit more muted. I mean, I'm thinking like, uh, like, for example, there's several, I mean, right now, Thank, thanks for doing doing this to me, but I don't remember <laughs> the names of. So there's there's paintings of cyclists, for example. You know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, yes. Oh. Uh, we'll we'll put it in the description. Yeah. Um, but that are like wonderfully colorful and really very very dynamic of cars racing by. Well, there's the city um, rises, which I think we should mention. Things, uh, th things that like, like, which is Boccioni's start to first. look like Kandinsky, kind of, right? Like just these huge explosions of color that, had they been made much later, could very well have been Would paintings you want to made very for quickly, pride. I, yeah. oh. <laughs> I mean, no, color-wise, yeah, like no. they are like rainbows. I think so, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Do you want to bring up the, um, the city also rises? Uh, which is Boccioni's first real futurist work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it just has that complete. No, it's uh, it's it's it's, it's wonderful. Color. I mean, there's it's not um, quite Barlow's lamp. There's that there's that famous William James quote about um, existence being a what is it blooming buzzing confusion. Yeah. Before you have your your like perceptual categories oh. or whatever to to structure that perception. 
And we're I losing mean, our we're losing our boundaries. We're losing our yeah. categories. No, and, but but it's really it's really wonderful. I mean, you, and you really see the blooming, buzzing confusion like looming at every step with these guys here, and it does capture it like a, a dynamism that that isn't present in the countryside. That if if anything, you'd find it maybe in like a Turner storm in the sea or something. You'd get close to it, but really, pictorial boundaries break down. It's it's something but if if just because this is such a well-known image mm-hmm. and such a staple of futurism and in particular uh, the painter's futurism i have one of the most grotesque initial i had rather one of the most grotesque initial reactions to this image t- t- tell me to me tell the listeners and even now i look at that <laughs> Uh, that image and the center to me appears like a wonderful medieval knight on a horse. <laughs> it looks like a medieval knight yes. on a horse. I, even now, I can't shake it. Mm-hmm. Even now, I can't shake it. So to me, I'm always going to be slightly sickly to their eyes. Yeah. How dare I? I can't help but think of uh, some sort of knight that's charging into battle. It's, and it's, within the background, spears held in the air, or I mean, flag poles, yeah, or whatever. Definitely. I don't see a stadium. I don't see some sort of energetic scene. Well, I do see an energetic scene, but to me, it's some sort of medieval battlefield with additional horses in the background to the left. Uh, I guess it's it's turning out to be rather difficult to make something entirely anew, shorn from all past human experience, right? Yeah. But hey, <laughs> who would have come, thunk? Come at me! Come at me and attack me! For, for how dare I? How dare I? I can put it to you that within their very own manifesto, they talk about the breakdown of boundaries. So if I see, and if I am, if spectator is key, well, then this is a medieval knight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure they. Just sure to be specifically that. awkward, but I can't shake it. But so, so seeing these things, let's talk a little bit more about uh, about color. No. Yeah. No, I we've think spoken so. a bit about form, um, and to do that, we've talked about divisionism. Oh, which we mentioned very briefly last time. You know, they time. state, right after what you've just read, we conclude that painting cannot today exist without divisionism. But then what do they say later on? That so we mentioned specifically divisionism. Going to de- must be an in- divisionism, for the modern painter, must be an innate complementariness. What does that mean? <sighs> now... That's brutal, isn't it? The innate complementariness. So divisionism itself, generally, we, we said a little bit about last time against pointillism. And whilst pointillism is more... Uh, both of them colour theory uh, specific, all brought about by George Surratt, mm-hmm. neo-impressionism <coughs> specifically. And pointillism is more focused on primary colours uh, applied through dots with the intention of bringing out some sort of luminosity or whatever that may mean. Um, they think it could actually produce more light. It doesn't. Whether it's the question of illusion of light is another thing. Mm. But sometimes they really want to say that it actually produces more light. Uh, whereas when it comes to divisionism, it's more general. And it can be uh, uh, specific points or it can be more general brush strokes even potentially quite wide strokes. Um, and it's just meant to bring out some sort of colour dynamic. It's far more general and it's used differently by different writers. Uh, well, uh, theorists, I should say. Mm-hmm. Not but so what, what is divisionism exactly then? Well, this is, this is the great big problem because it's going to be... Uh, but like, r- roughly, it's, it's the idea that you can sort of lay colours beside each other, right? And yeah. that... Uh, I guess primary colors or without colors. mixing them, without mixing and that them, there'll be and, some and sort exactly of, of mixing happening. Yeah. yeah, hence the, the complementariness, right? Yeah, within our site. Mm-hmm. Um, but the innate complementariness is a very tricky phrase. Does it happen within the painting itself? Does it happen in our subjectivity? Is it something to do with our retinas? Is he going mm-hmm. about op- talking about optics? Is he talking maybe not about optics, but about how we actually understand the boundaries of light and colour? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, we've already had the knockdown of boundaries. It's going to be tricky to pin down, and I suspect they are not such precise and delicate thinkers that they will iron them out. No, certainly I think not. There but, will be a lot would, of confusion. 
But I guess a lot it, of equivocation. Mm-hmm. But it does make sense, I guess, that they're so into divisionism, right? Given the subjectivity that they want to highlight again. Uh, but like, they're also they're also uh, I mean, successors the, of neo impressionism. Yeah, which but, but so they're focused on it. Yeah, but they're very. I think they say that they're parting with the old, and yet in so many ways they continue it. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way to. You can't part with everything, right? Well, so uh, you yeah. wouldn't know how to paint. Well, we know Marinetti. We don't want to hear about it. it. We know that to some extent we're yeah. all in our, but We don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. God forbid anyone raises it to us. But I guess that experimentation with perceptual tricks. Um, and like visual illusions and things like that are very much uh, in line with wanting to make art from a subject's perspective, no? from a particular subject's perspective. That, that I, I think, think makes sense. I think that's hitting it on the head, the nail and on the head. I'm talking a little bit about science um, within that context, no? Yeah, so... Um, so if your science is, is really spoken of... Uh, slightly differently, no? They say, Victoria's science has nowadays disowned its past in order to better serve the material needs of our time. We would that art, disowning its own past, were able to serve at last the intellectual needs which are within us. So, yeah, do you see science playing a different role, or not really? I mean, here it seems almost perfunctory to me. No, I, I would agree. Right? It seems to be just bolted on, but I like the fact that it's included, because it really does tie it in more neatly with the first manifesto. Mm-hmm. We don't get any great elucidation of its role no it's just meant to be some saving grace it is the messiah no and i guess i guess that they want to have the same type of bold proclamation that science does and but it fits far more so so neatly forth. with the first one doesn't yeah. it no it doesn't. don't you think i mean and to some extent why would we expect them to really go into detail about science no there's no point it's a technical manifesto for painters for god's yeah. sake yeah that's a good point um, but it's, I'm glad that they mention it, just because it really does tie it all together. But, I mean, divisionism, so you see that in uh, uh, Boccioni's 1910 work here. Um, you don't, it's not so apparent in the dynamism of the dog, um, uh, of the dog on the leash, rather. But that kind of colour theory is so important to so many futurist works, and you'll see... Muted colours, sure, but uh, it, it, you, the second that we actually say that the face, the human face, has blues and greens mm-hmm. and yellows and violets, we have to start thinking that it's not meant to be some sort of ordinary interpretation of the face as some sort of pale thing or, or you know, a shadowed thing. Or Suddenly we can introduce far more dynamic, uh, even visually abrasive colours and somewhat unusual colours. Mm-hmm to get some sort of deeper notion of truth. Remember what truth is here. Our standard notions of form and colour no longer work for, our, for truth. We have to move towards the idea of trying to depict speed. How do you depict speed? Well, there's going to be some sort of synesthesia going on there. Mm-hmm. It's that problem of... Um, and actually, uh, just before they actually read out the declarations, they say, um, they predict some objections towards them, that we will be accused of cerebralism uh, and that we are not spontaneous or primitive. Uh, they are going to try to say that, in some sense, if we're being charitable, that they are. Sure. But that it's, it's in a very different way. Uh, it's not necessarily fully conscious. It's not an immediate one. But in some sense, it does answer that deep and primitive. It, it is a lot less cerebral than a lot of stuff that would come after it, I feel. Have you got anything in mind, like cubism? Because cubism will influence the futurists, because that will happen uh, in parallel to it. Mm-hmm. No, I, guess, I, guess a, I guess a bit further on, but as I, I guess as the work of art moves from the object to the concept the object represents, um, you, you start getting a lot more cerebral, and you, you get closer to a visual essay rather than, than this type of like artistic expression or like outpouring that they want to emulate, even though there starts to be quite a bit of theory involved in, like, what they're trying to do, no? But, I mean, I, they've already been quite outrageous, though, right? Yeah. I mean, they've already broken apart, saying that, yeah, we need to have new themes. We need to also move past the idea of, um, of ordinary boundaries. We're moving past those. Um, 
And then we also, we don't even have the security of color. Mm -hmm. So there's just going to be, as you said earlier, you referenced the, the, the fizzing, bumbling sea of things. Yeah. Um, but you, I know that you're, you want to mention the anarchist. Gali? Yes. I mean, we just because I think we have to. It's, it's, well, it's probably it's a, one of the most well-known. But it's a great image uh, to capture um, the color palette that we're dealing with, yeah. as well as the motion besides uh, Abotune. It's really brilliant, isn't it? My, uh, my co-host here didn't, uh, didn't believe me when I told him that that was, in fact, the painting of the anarchist Gali. And he said, no, 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 that's, that's another knight. You, you, you see the horse. <laughs> it's not the knight. Uh, but in fact, he was pointing, uh, he was pointing at a coffin um, right in the middle of the painting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to now say that my family, I come from a long line of coffin makers. <laughs> well, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, <laughs> Thomas's family comes from a long line of Cheshire coffin makers. Um, they specialized in tiny, tiny coffins. It's a very sad, very sad affair. But no, this image, yeah. why is it important, <laughs> captures social realism to some extent. To some extent. It touches on it. It does. It does. So, but uh, of course, Gali was, uh, Gali was an anarchist who died very young. Um, there's, there's not that much about him, given how young he was when he died, but he was clearly important enough that the police considered him a threat and had him murdered. Um, and Carlo Cara, who... Uh, witnessed this event uh, unfolding. So the police blocked off the cemetery to the throng of supporters, thinking that this would become a political rally. And they were right, it definitely did become a political rally. Um, and Boccioni was there to witness it. And, and made, though not Boccioni, Cara, and uh, made his, his best painting, probably. Or at least his most well-known. And for being a painting of such a dark occasion that was sort of a street battle where it, it looked as if, you know, they, they were going to knock over the coffin and trample on his corpse, uh, Kara said later. It's, it's quite striking. But again, you know, you mentioned, like, you know, in jest, the whole uh, uh, there's a knight in there, but it does look like a medieval battle. I mean, like, th there are some heavy, like, Bruegel type of influences here, at least in the throngs of people and the flags and the closeness. It's just that it's now just exploding with color. The, you know? the, I think there is also a suffocating quality to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all those dark shadows. I mean, like the, but also the, the, the bodies. The, these... the bodies blend into each other, and the shadows, you know, blend into one another. And it, it's very difficult to discern any one person. It's all just this, like, it, like, bam, you know, sort of perception thing that you're seeing. Kind of the, the raw data of perception is what it feels almost like. One, uh, well, two things at least really grab me about this. And in terms of the shadows, you've got um, these glimpses of light that you can see on the floor. That's through them, yeah. Moving through them, but also in the sky. But you don't really get too many yellows or whites. What instead you get is lime greens, mm -hmm. these kind of neon greens and these odd blues and, and reds. And they're distinguished by... Uh, and also in the crowds, with all the red, there's this intense red that seems to just emanate from the crowds. Uh, what later uh, uh, sort of critics would call force lines. Mm. And this would become a staple of, well, what's our podcast about? One of the things that it's about is, sure, you end up having these manifestos, you have these ideas. But then how do you actually depict them in a different medium? It's one yeah. thing to write them down on the page. How do you show speed? So One force of the lines here, is the characteristic. Line, yeah, that's yeah. what they would later on define it. And so sort of in the, uh, in the skyline, you can see these, these different... Uh, you can also see them as linear like boundaries. simulating like the trailing end of motion, no? Like, like, exactly. Like, uh, like sort of objects I think awake. comic books would move, would be heavily inspired by all of this. Yeah, I don't definitely. know if there are any precursors substantially to this. I think... I, I, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong here, mm -hmm. but I suspect that um, in terms of some of the style of trying to depict motion in a panel, you really do get a, 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 a heavy, you pay a heavy debt to... Um, to the futurists. To the futurists yeah. who really try to depict it. 
Obviously, it would change somewhat, but the idea of having these line, force lines, a version of these force lines mm-hmm. um, that would try to present motion uh, and bodies in motion and sort of uh, the so, immateriality of bodies. Remember, the immateriality of bodies is key here as well. Mm-hmm. That uh, one is two, is five, is twelve, is many. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are as much your sofa as the sofa is you when you're sitting on it. But one of the things that I really wanted to pick up Thomas, on Thomas, don't insult our listeners. They're whoa, much more whoa. than their sofa. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But w- one of the things... Uh, now, this is, this is not so much a typical uh, viewpoint. This is a little bit more out there. I just get an overwhelming sense of, uh, of the hybrid, the notion mm-hmm. of the hybrid... If you remember in the first episode that we did about Marinetti, where he comes out as the metallic flaked, muddied, oiled, greased uh, 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 individual that's still organic, you know, sort of blinking through it all after the car crash. And you have that, you know, the organic metal hybrid. I can't help but think within uh, this manifesto that we get our bodies penetrate the sofas upon which we sit the sofas penetrate our bodies and that you know when you're in the bus as it's moving along this hybridization i think it's carried on here um Mm -hmm. i don't know whether they were fully aware of it and i don't know whether they were as critical about marinetti's prose obviously these are not uh they're not poets marinetti was a poet but bala and cara and boccioni are not especially but I can't help but feel there is some sort of continuation here. I don't know. No, I think so. This is something I didn't mention to you beforehand. So. No, but I think so. <clears throat> I think there is, there is that continuation. Uh, well, feel free to argue against if, mm-hmm. you, if you think it isn't. But I, I really do see that, the, that they really do seem to be carrying on this... this sort of the hybrid man. Yeah, the, but, this but transhumanist enhanced kind of figure uh, that bleeds through everything else. Not that they are some sort of enlightened individual or that they uh, can do all things, but that our ordinary bodies, the body that we're comfortable in, is not actually who we are, and actually it can spread far more, and especially the modern human being. So, Well, there's, the th- there's, 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 I guess, that, I guess, uh, not of tension, but maybe the hybridness, I guess, that you're saying. Yeah. Um, because on the one hand, like... Very classical painting is is intensely realist in, mm. in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe not in representation and no. the scale of things is bizarre and you know things meant stuff. So like a fly had had an entire meaning and so on and so forth, right? Um, and like Renaissance portraiture. Yeah, but it's very very real. And and the futurists come and say, no no no, it isn't. Right, that that looks so similar and and like picture sort of true to life about like say renaissance portraiture that's not real that's not that's not really what we see that's not really what's there no what's there is motion and that's what we want to capture so yeah I, th- there there is a kind of that duplicity between but telling you what is and what isn't and like that there is this whole other side to us and to how we should behave no that roughly what you're going for? Yeah, no, or no? Uh, no, definitely, definitely, mm. it, it really is that, and um, I just want to push it on even further, just get sure. or rather deeper. Our uh, to recite from the text: our renovated consciousness does not permit us to look upon man as the center of human, uh, un- uh, as the center of universal life. The suffering of a man is of the same interest to us as the suffering of an electric lamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, you. Again, the hybridization here in terms of the technology, and just to tie in with in and the, the lamps first manifesto, are beautiful and equally poetic as people. But not, yeah. not well, just the, that blurring of the senses and of, of of boundaries. Yeah, definitely. I see. I see. Yeah. And and, and ultimately, that it's energy that they love. It's it's the sensation. Yeah, whether the it comes out of a lamp or out of you. Exactly. Um, it's you know just that burning energy. But when it comes to, uh, I don't know if you remember, in Marinetti's first, mm-hmm. when he talks about, we celebrate the person behind the wheel of the car, etc. Yeah. I can't help but think that because he, uh, such a big part of futurism is not just a celebration of speed, but also of those who kind of accept it and integrate with it. I think because the paintings become so much a, a, an idea of just depicting speed, we lose boundary, we lose color, we mm-hmm. lose all these things. 
forget the subject matter to the greater extent. It's just the speed in different ways, and that's what we're really trying to uh, to force home. Why is the spectator so important for the painters? Mm-hmm. Well, it very much could be a continuation of the celebration of we celebrate the man behind the wheel of the mm. car. It's it's the person in the modern day. Yeah, it's the person in the modern day it's who as, accepts as the, person the speed sees. and it's who, as we see it exactly, yeah. and is experiencing the speed, and so. Rather than any kind of interpretation of what's going on, the phenomenological aspect here is just the depiction of speed. And that, you know, if you feel confused uh, and, and even concerned by it, as long as you get a sense of motion yeah. that can unnerve you a little bit like you're behind the wheel of a car that's moving a little bit too quickly, or if you're taking off and you get that m- I mean, motion in your I mean, stomach then that's then that i think Look, it's it's a hugely it well. no it does and it i think i mean more than any other for, for all their their like apocalyptic language mm. that you really get at least in the marinetti manifesto yeah. and this one less um not not really as much but more than last yeah more than last but it's not that apocalyptic it no. it's kind of intensely optimistic in a way that i i don't think i've seen that many other artistic movements be this this weirdly optimistic no, I agree, yeah. I mean, do you know of another, really? I mean, like recent ones, at least. Because this is wholly optimistic. It's the spectator seeing the changing ways of the world and running after them like like crazed and happy and joyous and loving it. It's Maybe in a paradoxical way, the young British artists? Yeah, Maybe. Although they're so depressive and miserable. They're so depressive. In the fact that they come to the... That they actually get to the forefront mm-hmm. of the artistic world. It kind of shows a celebration of the underdog, which in its own way kind of... Yeah, but I don't, I don't know that they're like paradigmatically optimistic or, or even no. if there's anything to them that ties them together other than being young and British. No, well, it's we'll, we'll, Goldsmiths University. Uh, I forgot my bad. Yeah. That's, no, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that eventually, I guess. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Two years time, but yeah, it's very <laughs> optimistic. I mean, it's certainly something. But no, I just, I just thought so. That look, that's I worthwhile mean, mentioning. no, that is worthwhile mentioning. I mean, should we, should we have a brief mention here of, of, of the declarations? I think we've spent a lot Definitely. less time on them, though. Uh, I think for good reason. Uh, yeah, that most of them are like mixes of previous declarations, right? It's ridiculous. Uh, so, do you want to read out? Um, the, I mean, you've already read them out once before, mm-hmm. but um, uh, read them again, and I'll end up combining them from the previous one. How does that sound to you? And now we're going to quickly storm through, because we're running short of time, uh, the various declarations. And you will see that the first five especially bear a striking resemblance to last week's with the original... I know. Yeah. But what's interesting is the way that they end up reformulating or synthesizing them. And so, Ariel, do you so want to instance, read out this week's... Yeah, we'll go, we'll go rather quickly here. That all forms of imitation must be despised, all forms of originality glorified. Which is a synthesis of the second and third from the previous manifesto, which was totally invalidate all kinds of imitation for number two. And number three, elevate all attempts of originality, however daring, however violent. So they've, uh, they've shed violence. Yeah, they've shed violence, which is somewhat interesting. I mean, we, we don't have the violence in this one that we do. We don't have the glorification no, of war. Well, look, I'm telling you, I mean, even, even before... All the hatred of women. No, 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 we, no, don't, we no, actually no. don't have the hatred of women, in it. and it, it, there could be a way in which one could, if you didn't know anything about the futurists, read this as feminists. It's <laughs> <laughs> coming, right? Um, so there's, there's also they, they talk of a new sensitiveness, you know, but we shall merely answer that we are, on the contrary, the primitives of a new sensitiveness multiplied hundredfold, and that our art is intoxicated with spontaneity and power, of course, but. The new sensitiveness is kind of. I think that's the perceptual stuff. No, I think it is a perceptual stuff. Yeah. yeah. Number two, that it is essential to rebel against the tyranny of the terms harmony and good taste as being two elastic expressions, by the help of which it is easy to demolish the works of Rembrandt, Goya, and of Rodin. And so, from the former manifesto, it's 
Number six, rebel against the tyranny of words, harmony and good taste, and other loose expressions which can be used to destroy the works of Rembrandt, Goya and Rodin, etc. So not too much of a change there. Yeah, that the art critics are useless or harmful. Now, this is a fascinating one, because uh, in last week's, um, which we looked at, it was number five, regard art critics as useless and dangerous. Well, quite similar. Similar? Quite similar. Similar. But I guess they wanted to take off a certain edge, because danger is kind of cool, mm. isn't it? Plus, they are different translations, so we're always going to be worried. Yeah, we always never really know what yeah. they're saying. That all subjects previously used must be swept aside in order to express our whirling life of steel, of pride, of fever, and of speed. So this is from a version of seven from sweep us uh, of last week's sweep aside the whole field of art clean of all themes and subjects which have been used in the past. Now there is a change here. There's quite a big change here because we no longer have the themes. Themes is omitted in this. Mm -hmm. It's just the subjects. Well, they do admit that you can make great art about anything, right? Yeah. Kind of. And potentially because themes is so broad that, oh, has, has, has speed never been done before? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. It's, yeah, probably it's been done before. It's probably a perennial issue to some extent. Mm-hmm. As much as they may not wish to. And then the last one, number five, which is, is, is a synthesis. That the name of Madman with which it is attempted to gaggle innovators should be looked upon as a title of honor. Yeah, this, was a, is, this one is almost like, like a verbatim from the first as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. in this case, number four, bear bravely and proudly the smear of madness with which they try to gaggle innovators. Mm-hmm. So it's remarkable how many are continuations, but now we move into six to nine and then the wee yeah, fight, which that, are new. No, entirely. That the innate complementariness is an absolute necessity in painting, just as free meter and poetry or polyphony and music. That universal dynamism must be rendered in painting as a dynamic sensation. That the manner of rendering nature the first essential is sincerity and purity. That movement and light destroy the materiality of bodies. And these are all things that we've been talking about this whole time. Very right? much so. So number nine is the, the, the boundariness, the mm-hmm. moving of, of boundaries. Uh, number eight there. I think that that is, is that spontaneity and uh, just the energy of nature. Because we haven't got that organic principle from Marinetti's. Mm-hmm. Um, number seven, again, that sensation, that motion just being depicted there, which we talked about with, with uh, the dynamism of Dog and Leash, uh, as well as Sonic. <laughs> uh, but then number six, just to give you a better idea of how we should understand it in a complementariness, it's compared to free meter in poetry. Now, free meter can be considered poetry that doesn't have any meter. Mm-hmm. Um, but alternatively, it can be considered because there will always be some meter in words, especially in English, um, because it's a, English is a metro... Uh, when it comes to poetry, is even when it's qualitative, it's considered that there is... Uh, sorry, quantitative. There's always considered some qualitative element, which is where you have stresses and non-stresses. And so free verse is better understood by critics as a mixed meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's interesting that they should do that. Um, rather than it being totally free, uh, almost... Um, without foundation or without any kind of touchstones. Here we have a way of understanding divisionism as very rich. Mm-hmm. And actually that, yes, there are these, these kind of footholds to it, but that you won't find any neat uh, systematic footholds throughout a painting. You need to constantly move about. and. But divisionism really is, I think, the key thing for futurism no like like when you're in a gallery and you know you it's it's really very easy to identify a futurist painting or mm. or you know maybe maybe like exactly which branch of futurism you'll be you'll be a little stumped you know it might be goncharova or something yeah um but it really it really is quite easy to to tell no and it is the divisionism and the speed and this like ethereal place that the paintings are all set in that are these like whirling swirling vistas of city or or really of who knows what i mean just like these delirious visions no i I mean like that really is the core of like the style of painting no yeah but it's it's all geared towards 
the, the spectator, though, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because uh, ultimately, those colours... We mentioned that the face will have the purples and the blues and the vi- whatever. And of course, in one sense, it doesn't literally. You have to really see it in a very particular way. And no, I that's... think it does, it does literally, though. Like, it, it does quite literally. I mean... Like, You're looking at my face. I'm looking like at your face, and yeah, now, I mean, and if only, subtle. if only you could see viewers the oh. the pallid tints of my <laughs> co-host's face. No, but like, I mean, you you know, look at your hand, and you can see blues, and you can see these different tints that are not, you know, we're not Rubens paintings. No, but when we but when we yeah. look at uh, the standard futurist paintings, it's yeah, trying no, you're to right. capture it's, a different it's, it's a lot kind more. of a mm-hmm. thing. And of course, in one sense, a bit like like the Toulouse Lautrec, like noctambular, sort of pallid green. These the, these symbolists, yeah, and uh, uh, symbolists, and uh, we, of course, let's let's move into the we fight very quickly on here. Mm-hmm. So num- uh, we'll, we'll just skip through the um, yeah, number I mean, one as very uh, quickly, you know, against the bituminous tints by which it is attempted to obtain the pattern of time upon modern pictures. We don't like. Making new pictures look like old ones. I mean, I like that. There you know? we go. That's we we shouldn't do that. No, with time they'll yellow and whatever. But there's no need to do that now. But hold on. If we can skip to three, though, because we mentioned mm-hmm. the secessionists. Um, yes, against the, fal- the false claims to belong to the future put forward by the secessionists and the independents, who have installed new academies no less trite and attached to routine than the preceding ones. Yeah, uh, this I think is actually something of an undermining principle. Because the reason, I mean, the most famous one here would have been uh, the Vienna mm-hmm. secessionists, probably. Um, and uh, people like Klimt, etc. And although they were very much avant garde, brand new movements. By this point, there's this idea that, oh, yes, they've got their own styles and they are fixed and uh, you can learn them. They're saying, oh, it's big. that's academis, uh, acade- academism. There we go. And that's what we don't want. However, the very fact that they've got this technical manifesto seems to undermine the point. This manifesto itself yeah, yeah, gives in, the in, foundation of... Yeah, of an academy. academy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it does. So th- there is something worrying here um, about that. And then, uh, of course, the I also is... quite I also quite like those secessionists, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, Klimt is really quite brilliant, and uh... von Stuck is great. Love all of those. Yeah, but of course, by this point, even they're like considered... Art Nouveau is pretty pretty cool. It looks pretty good. They are traitors. They've become old. They need to be thrown and burnt. They need to be replaced by the young no, and right. eaten I'm sorry, alive. I'm sorry, you're right. Let's eat them alive. Mm-hmm. Number four. Against the nude in painting, as nauseous and as tedious as adultery in literature. We wish to explain this last point. Nothing is immortal in our eyes. Immoral. Oh, many things. (laughs) Nothing is immoral in our eyes. It is the monotony of the nude against which we fight. We are told that the subject is nothing and that everything lies in the manner of treating it. That is agreed, we too admit that. But this truism, unimpeachable and absolute, 50 years ago, is no longer so today with regard to the nude, since artists obsessed with the desire to expose the bodies of their mistresses have transformed the salons into arrays of unwholesome flesh. We demand for 10 years the total suppression of the nude in painting. I really like that. I like that. It looks so much like... Do you also think that the salons have become... uh, what is it? Arrays of unwholesome flesh? Do you know what? It, by this point, it may have become a little bit stale. Mm-hmm. It may have become a little bit stale. But I, I just, what I really love is the form here. Um, it's so similar to the uh, original manifesto because we've got that structure of, yeah, no, we know, we know this and we agree with it. We that. don't care. Yeah, we don't care. But uh, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here's the rub. This is what we're going to say forward. And it just harks back to that first manifesto and fits so neatly. And that's why I think that this is a far better Mm -hmm. manifesto to fit in with the great canon of futurism than the the preceding one that was just monotonous drudgery. But, I mean, yeah, it's... So it's not the immorality of it. They they don't care. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that... Yeah. It's not the immorality of it? Of course not. They don't care. Really? No, they're scum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no of course not they are vicious these fiends mm-hmm. they, they like the, the violence of war yeah that's the soul cleanser of the world don't forget <clears throat> according to these yeah but, but there, there is a, b- a bit of a you're a young artist stop painting life drawing 
out, out of yeah. the question. Yeah, I mean, like, again, there, there would be some kind of strange feminist reading of this, um, where probably, yeah, but the nude in painting is, 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 you know... It's such a well-worn trope, though, but it's very in, well in the worn, art yeah. by this point, isn't it? And we I've always been, you know... Well, of course, you've got the classical images, but then also you've got it, the, the more naturalistic depictions, you know, painting the prostitute on the, on the couch or... No, move away from that. Mm-hmm. We're going to depict... Well, the subject matter doesn't matter so much, but we're going to have the energy, the raw energy. And with that, I think we should begin to wrap up, unless there's something else you want to add. No, I think that's it. So if you want to join us on our Patreon where there'll be a a few minutes, probably about 10 minutes of bonus content where we'll probably discuss Boccioni's triptych uh, in relation to this and we'll also give a Rimbaud poem which seems to tie very neatly (laughs) into into, uh, some of the basic futurist tenets here. That's but, the type of, of wonderful highfalutin stuff you can find on our Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Just a little bit of bonus content. The majority of it, of course, will always be out here. The main manifesto will always be out here. And next week, we'll, we'll see what we'll be doing next week. We'll, we'll put it up, obviously letting you know what we'll be doing. Because um, we might restructure a little bit of our order. Um, but there we go. That's the futurist... Technical painting manifesto, 1910, Boccioni et al. <laughs> Join us next time yeah. for more. And if you want, head over to our Patreon. Yes, no, just really. Just for the, a few extra. Literally, go, it's only just 10 go, minutes. Go, go to the Patreon. <laughs> just, just do it. 